You are listening to a live message from Gold Street Garden Church with Dr. Dominic Butler. We are thrilled to have you join us for today's message. Our prayer is that you would see Jesus clearer than ever before and your desire to know him personally would increase in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about the church, you can go to goldstreetgarden.com. I had something on my heart with this being Resurrection Week, with this being the Passion Week, with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that understanding that the sacrifice that Jesus paid. You know, it's so important that we never, do you understand that the message of the cross and the resurrection is not a once a year message? Do you understand that? That if it's not the everyday conviction of your heart, you'll, you'll, you won't make it. I'm just being real. That there's nothing more special than having that revelation be the framework of your life. And tonight, what I wanted to do is the Lord has directed me to teach on an, an event that took place leading up to the cross and the resurrection. And then this Sunday, we'll, we'll really hit on that as well. But what I want you to do is this, is can you turn to your neighbor and say, where I go to know. It's very simple. Say it again. Where I go to know. This is the title of tonight, Where I Go to Know. And if, if everybody could do me a favor right now, um, actually don't do me that favor. We'll, do, we'll say that for later because I don't think Facebook is working. So, so we, it's only on YouTube. So what we have is I want to share that it was just last week or this past Sunday that I have you, has anybody gone to the zoo before? You know, uh, Tampa's got like the, it doesn't have any lions because it's a cheap zoo, but it's a, <laughs> but you, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it doesn't have like the cool stuff. And no, I'm just, it's got a tiger and a bear. It's cool. Uh, got some elephants, giraffes, but where's the lion? You know, so. so I took my little girl while the women had the women's group, which I heard was phenomenal. It was amazing. So I took Bliss to the zoo. And when we're at the zoo, something happens when you're with a young child. She's four. So every time we would go up to an exhibit, I would say, oh, Bliss, do you see that? Have you ever done that when you're at a zoo and you're trying to point something out? You see something first. You're all excited. You want to tell everybody, I see that weird monkey hanging up in the tree over there. Look, I don't see it. No, look. Um, and, but people don't have your eyes, so they can't see exactly, but you're trying to point. But the only thing about my little girl is that since she's so little, she can't see everything going on. So what happens is I'm, I'm like, look, look. And she's like, Daddy, I can't see. And what does she say? Pick me up, Daddy. And then I pick her up, and then she's able to see. And what I'm here, I want to remind you tonight that, that God is telling you, there's your purpose. There's your future. Do you see it? Do you see what I have? And what we need to do tonight is say, God, can you pick me up? Daddy, can you lift me up so I can see what you have for me? Can we, can we, this is, this is why I'm saying, where do you go to know? Where do you go to know? Where do you go to see? Where do you go to find peace? Where do you go to find joy? Where do you go to find love? 
Where do you go to find answers? And you know, it's so easy in a church setting to say, God, but you, what I want to do is I want to go through a story starring our hero, Jesus. And I want to show you how Jesus prays. So if you could turn to your neighbor again and say, where I go to know. If you could turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, we've only got two pit stops, and this is a quick one. Right before I read this, I know we've prayed, I know we've worshiped, but I want to once again, can we just close our eyes? Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that we have the privilege to not only read this word, but to have the Holy Spirit guide us through every, every, every iota, every, no matter what we're looking at, that the Holy Spirit can unveil it to us and reveal it to us in its entirety. I thank you that tonight, even if we become point zero 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 one percent more like Jesus, it was a successful night. Lord, help us to become more like Jesus as we read tonight. In Jesus' precious name, everyone said, amen. So in Hebrews chapter 5, it says this in verse 7. Has anybody ever read a scripture before and you had to double take or you, all, you were like, does it really say that? This is one of those verses for me. It says in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 5, who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Now, did you just read that with me? That Jesus wasn't heard by God because he was the son of God. He was heard by God because he had godly fear. Now, is that intense or what? That Jesus was heard by God because he had godly fear. Now, the thing about the fear of the Lord that we need to know is the psalmist and Proverbs said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what the scriptures say. Do you know why in the natural sometimes people are fearful? The reason they're fearful is because they, they are not prepared when something catches them off guard, it's revealing that they weren't prepared. There's fear. But you know what the fear of the Lord does? The fear of the Lord puts a fear in you if you aren't preparing. Does that make sense? That when you fear the Lord, you're preparing. When Noah heard from God to build an ark, or do you think Noah was glad he built that ark when that flood came? Do you think Noah, you know, everybody thought he was a lunatic while he was building that, but he was getting prepared. I want to ask you tonight, are you preparing? Are you preparing for what's to come? And do you know how you prepare more so than anything is in prayer? I want to propose that prayer is all about preparation. But you know what American society and the way that religious people think about prayer is, let me put it this way, see if you catch it. We need to stop approaching prayer like janitors and start approaching it like architects. Do you know what I mean by that? Is that so many times people are using prayer to clean their messes up instead of build something. Do you see what I'm saying? That Jesus, when he prayed, he was preparing 
for what was to come. He prayed in the morning for hours so that way when a problem came into his contact, it was solved. He didn't have to pray about the problem because he was already prepared for the problem. But the church is always praying because they have problems instead of being the preparation and solution to them. Are you following me tonight? I want to ask you once again, where do you go to know? Where do you go to know? Where do you go to know what's happening next? Are you just being, just listening to the news, listening to the things going on? Where do you go to know? So that the verse right after it says this, it says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus had to learn obedience? How did he learn obedience? With gumdrops and Dr. Pepper falling from the sky? He learned obedience through the things he suffered. Do you know what's the greatest suffering? Surrendering your will. That's the greatest suffering, surrendering your will. What it, the human nature will is selfish by default because of Adam. Adam and Eve, when they fell, it made our nature, our will, is selfish by nature. That's why we need the Lord to help remove that. I want to say this too. Selfishness is the leading cause of spiritual blindness. Nothing makes you more blind in the spiritual realm than yourself. Selfishness makes you blind in the spiritual realm because all you see is the things going on, the things that are in that context. So our main text tonight is where did Jesus learn this suffering? Where did Jesus learn this godly fear when he was crying out? It wasn't actually on the cross. You know where it was? In the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to talk about the Garden of Gethsemane tonight. If you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, and this is where we'll hang for the rest of this evening. Are you guys okay? I just want to make sure this is going to be massive breakthrough for you. I need you to get excited with me. Please be engaged as we go through this. I promise we are going to hit some climax tonight in, in our hearts and in revelation of Jesus. That's why we're here tonight is to know him more. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, it says this. And just so people that love studying the word, the Garden of Gethsemane is actually found in every gospel account. Um, Matthew 26 is where we're going to be, but it's also in Mark 14, also in Luke 22 and John 18, and I will refer to them, but we won't have to go there. But I, it, isn't it amazing that each gospel account brings out a different persona of the story? It's amazing. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, verse 36 of chapter 26, it says this, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go pray over there. <laughs> Selah. Jesus, it says in the Gospel of Mark that it says that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives where Garden of Gethsemane was often. It says it was his custom. I want to ask you, do you have a place that you go to pray? Do you have a place 
Like, and obviously you can pray in your car, you can pray, you can take the secret place with you wherever you go, but do you have a place that you go? Do you know what's so amazing about this is Jesus went to this place on a regular basis, and it's amazing that he would go to a mountain because it seems like whenever you look through the Old Testament, Moses would meet with God on what? A mountain. Abraham would meet with God on a mountain because there's something special about when you go up a mountain, when you get to the top, not a lot of people can hang out. That a mountain isolates. It sees who really wants to climb it, who really wants to go, who really wants to meet there. And Jesus would go to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, and Gethsemane actually means the pressing and the crushing of olives. And you know what happens when you crush and you press olives? You get oil. Do you know what oil represents? It represents the anointing of God. Jesus was symbolically going to this place often because every time he went there, he was allowing the anointing of God to grow in his life. That when you get alone with God to pray, it's preparation for what is to come. And the anointing, you know what I'm talking about. Has, Has anybody been alone with God praying and then you just feel a release? Like something just happened. Even though you didn't see something, you were in prayer and you're like, I just have a peace now. Like something just shifted. You know what I'm talking about? This is because when you get alone with God, there's a pressing that happens. You begin, and the pressing is the friction of you laying your will down and his will rising. Because you know where the anointing is? In his will, not yours. That's why when you allow the pressing in the secret place, That sometimes people just think the secret place is you just tell God all the things you want, all the things. But actually, we need to stop saying, God, change my situation. And what we said at the beginning, God, change me. Did you know your biggest problems that you see in your life, the reason they're a big problem is because of the lens you see them through. Do you know God doesn't know what a problem is? What the enemy uses for evil, what does God do with it? He turns it into good. You know what that means? That if you prayed, you would be prepared for every attack of the enemy and you would realize it's just a chess piece to get you to your destiny. You would no longer complain, why has this happened? Why is this person treating me this way? Every attack of the enemy, you just say, God, you're gonna turn this into good if I keep my eyes on you. It changes things. So when we see here that he came to a place called Olive, And it was called the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, Jesus was always praying. He was always praying to be prepared so that way he wouldn't have to pray because he wasn't. If you pray to prepare, you won't have to pray because you weren't prepared. Do you see the difference? There's so many people that are praying for forgiveness all the time instead of asking God for the nations because condemnation is breaking people down, that they're constantly in this this wilderness struggle when God is saying, I've called you to do so much. Remember we said earlier, lift me up, God, let me see. But it says Jesus is showing us where he goes to know. Where does Jesus go to know? He goes to get alone with the Father. He goes to get alone with the Father. That's where he goes to know, and he showed his disciples, this is what I do. I go alone and I pray, And isn't it amazing that Judas is going to betray him in this very garden? Do you know why Judas betrays him in this garden? Because Judas knew this is where Jesus always goes. 
That's why he was able to tell the Calvary where he would be. Because Judas would go there and pray with Jesus. Isn't this significant? That Jesus prayed so much that Judas actually used Jesus' secret place as a trap, not realizing that it was all going to backfire. And that you think that the secret place that sometimes you're like, why is all this stuff going on? Why does it seem like everyone's against me? Why does it seem like all this craziness is going on? And what is really happening is that if you stay focused on him in the secret place and you keep your eyes on him, I'm telling you, the enemy will fall into the trap that he's been digging for you. And as we keep reading in verse 37, it says he took with him. Everybody say he took with him. Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Has it, have you ever heard of faith buddies before? I know it seems like a little corny, but have you ever heard of faith buddies before? You need a couple of them. You know that? You need some faith buddies. What Jesus did is that he had 12 disciples. One was going to sell them out, so he only had 11 at the moment, but he tells eight of them to sit their behinds down, and when he's got to make, get business done, he's only taken three of them, guys. How many people want to be a disciple that Jesus takes a little further? Do you know why he took them? Because they, in the gospel accounts, James, John, and Peter, Jesus brought them into the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. The other disciples were not there. And then Peter, James, and John also were the only disciples that saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. So Jesus, when he's got to pray about something serious, when he's got something serious to do, he's only taken the boys that have seen the glory of God and have seen a resurrection because he knows he's got to get serious business done and he is not going to he is not going without people with experience. Do you know what I'm talking about tonight? That if you're going through a crisis, say you got a family member in the hospital, you're not just calling up Tom, Dick, and Harry. You want somebody that believes in healing. You want somebody that believes in resurrection. You want somebody that's going to get with you and pray with you, not talk about the situation, not complain about the situation. You need some faith buddies. That's what Jesus did. He's like, i got to take care of business, and I'm only taking the people with me that have seen a resurrection, the people that have seen the glory of God. Say, you need a faith buddy. Tell somebody you need a faith buddy. You need people that when, when crisis hits in your life, you wanna call somebody and be, this is what I do with some people in my life. I call them up, but I don't even tell them what's going on. I'm just like, can you remind me how faithful God is? Can, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you just need to call somebody, and you need to be like, hey, can you remind me that he's good all the time, that he's faithful? It'll change things. But Jesus knew this. He was taking these three people a little further with him. Hallelujah. <laughs> and then it says he was sorrowful and deeply distressed. Does that, does that help anybody to realize that Jesus experienced sorrow and distress as well? Do you know one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Jesus wept. Isn't that beautiful? That the king of the universe, that he shares our emotion. He, he, he knows that you've, there's not one tear you've cried that God hasn't counted. And isn't it amazing that when we cry, that we cry from the place where we see. I like to call tears liquid revelation. That when you cry, it's, when I cry in the secret place, I really believe it's, 
pride just flowing out. It's, it's, it's allowing the lens which I see to be more humble, to be more tender. It's almost like a spiritual car wash for your eyes. <laughs> just like, some of you haven't cried in a while and it's a problem. I'm talking to some men in the room, you need to cry. I'm not saying being a baby, I'm talking about, I'm talking about in the presence of the Lord, being so thankful, being so tender, allowing God to do that inward work. In verse 38, it says this. <laughs> then he said to them, my soul, everyone say my soul, is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Now, I want to say a few things about the soul. Has anybody heard this before? If, if this is news to you, then it's glorious. You need to know. Did you know that you are a spirit? You possess a soul and you live in a body. First Thessalonians 5.23 says we are spirit, soul, and body. Jesus actually refers to all three of them. Do you know why that's so important? You know that you're spirit, soul, and body? Because what is God? God is a triune being. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He made you. You are a triune being. You have a spirit. You also have a soul, and you live in a body. You're th it's a three th things going on, and Jesus refers to all, but guess what? God is a spirit, and you're made in his image, which means that you are a spirit first. And before you're born again, your spirit is completely dead. But when you become born again, it becomes alive, and that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your body and it has fellowship. Did you know the Holy Spirit and your spirit talk all day even while you're just doing things? It says that the spirit within you cries out, Abba, Father, all day long. That's why when you pray, it's so refreshing because you're actually tapping into what you're created to do, is have communion and conversation with God. So when he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death, stay here and watch with me. Did you know emotions are good, but they're horrible leaders? You understand that. Emotions are good, but you don't want to be led by your emotions. Has anybody flew off the hammer before and said a bunch of things you didn't mean to say? Am I, oh, wow. So we're going to have a big altar call tonight. This is amazing. So, so like, when emotions will take you to a horrible place. I actually want to say this. The soul without Jesus is the most dangerous place on this earth. The soul without Jesus is the most dangerous place on this earth. Can you imagine what's going, we here, we have a hope. We know who Jesus is. That's why we're, we're hitting the streets all the time because people, they don't know. Their, their soul is a dark, just a dark black hole. We were there before. You know what I'm saying? This is why we celebrate. This is why we talk. When we stand before the Lord in heaven, this is why we are going to praise for eternity because of knowing. But he says, he's telling us here that his soul actually is leading him to death. Has anybody ever, has their emotions ever got them to a place where they actually thought it was over? Has anybody been there before where you're like, I just don't know how I'm going to come out of this? Uh, like being in such an emotional funk, being in such a, 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 a prison cell of your emotions, being the victim. If you keep looking at your past, you'll be more prone to repeat it. 
If you keep looking at your past, you'll be prone to repeat it. There are so many people that keep making decisions based off today about how people hurt them yesterday. You can't even enjoy a relationship because you see the people that you're in relationship now based off the scars of your previous ones. That's a problem. People even see God based off the way others have treated them. People leave church and even leave God because somebody didn't give them a hug one time. Because people get offended so easily because the enemy is trying to get any way he can into your mind. You have to, once again, where do you go to know? Where do you go to know? Because if, if the only way you're going to know is if everybody treats you right, you are going to be a mess. Can you imagine? Jesus was 100% right and they crucified him. It doesn't matter if everybody treats you good. In fact, when everybody treats you bad, it's an opportunity for you to tap into a greater intimacy of knowing him. Instead of complaining why things aren't, invest time with him to find out who you are and allow it to be a, an offering to him. But when it says, even unto death, stay here and watch with me, what is he saying? He's telling them that you need to be at a place where I want you to sit and watch here, but here's the next verse. When Jesus is dealing with, what did we just say? Have, has anybody dealt with a, a stressful situation before, a thing they did? Let's find out what Jesus did. What did he do to know? That very next verse, verse 39, he went a little farther. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, go a little farther. Go a little farther. I, I, this is where I want to camp for a minute because I need people to understand that in the presence of God, when you are praying, so many people leave the presence of God right before. This past Sunday when we were at the Methodist church preaching, at the end when people didn't come to the altar, there was one woman that came up at the end of service in tears. And she started just bringing up these deep, dark things in her life and she knew she was supposed to come to the altar but she stayed afterwards and she came up to me and we and there was a word for her and we prayed but you know what I said to her I said you could have just went home but you decided to stay a little longer and she got her breakthrough she got her breakthrough she got she she was it, it was a beautiful thing but I'm, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is showing us that when you are in a dark place or when your emotions are going crazy you need to look what the master did and you need to go a little further you need to stay a little longer because something is going to happen because when you go a little further in the secret place you'll go all the way in your destiny and in your purpose that because when you in the secret place you are preparing for your destiny. Does anybody get this tonight? That prayer is not just asking God, help me have a good day today. Prayer is you preparing for your purpose, for your destiny. That the framework of prayer is, Lord, how can I be prepared for what's next? What if we all approach prayer this way? That prayer was preparation. Once again, stop approaching prayer as a janitor and start approaching it as an architect. And not only does he go a little farther, what does it also say? He fell on his face. The Son of God, Jesus. He doesn't just snap his fingers and say, angels, help me out or whatever. No, he goes a little further because did you notice he, he even went further than his faith buddies? Peter, James, and John, he goes a little farther because 
There's places in prayer that nobody else is going to go with you. You know what I'm talking about. I hope you get it, that there's going to be times that nobody else is going to go with you to certain places because God wants an intimacy with you. My wife, there's conversations that my wife and I have that I will never have with any other person on the earth. You know what I'm saying? That shouldn't that be with God. Sometimes people want to brag about everything God's speaking to them. Well, that shows there's no intimacy. There should be things that God has said to you that you don't need to shout to everybody about. It's between you and him. It actually shows you have an intimate relationship. You go a little further. You fall on your face. Jesus is showing us. Why does he fall on his face? Because he's showing us that humility is the backstage pass to God's heart. Humility. Humility gets you into the realm of heaven quicker than anything. Jesus is at a place of distress, and he's not just, he's not just saying he's going a little further, but he's going a little further, and he's falling on his face before his Father. Have you fallen on your face in a while? You know what I'm talking? I hope you get this, that prayer is not just fold your hands, say a nice little thing. There's times in life that, do you see what's going on in the world? I think we all should be on our face. I don't think it should just be a couple Christian leaders. No, we all should get on our face. In fact, I, I, I'm not even saying this for pressure purposes. I really would love that every Tuesday that this altar was full of people on their face for worship or whatever. We just, just glorifying God, saying, God, I want to be prepared. The Lord spoke to Jackie and I before we started the church, and he said, prepare my bride. I just kept hearing that, prepare my bride. And what is, who is coming? A bridegroom. He's coming on a horse with eyes of fire. Do you know how much preparation it takes? What is the best gift a bride can give to her husband? Purity, devotion, commitment. But what is the enemy constantly trying to do? He's constantly trying to pull us away from purity, to pull us away from having so many commitments, having so many things. And Jesus, in this moment, we've said this before, but I want you to see that Jesus went to the cross in his heart before he ever went there in the natural that this is what prayer is. Prayer is you going to your destiny before you ever get there in the natural. You can't manifest where you have not been in the spiritual. That in the spiritual realm, when you're praying, you're actually going somewhere. When, when we pray for healing, what we're doing is we're tapping into what Jesus did on the cross. Did you know that there, in, in eternity, there's no timeline. It's just eternity. So when you tap into the spiritual realm, you tap into the archive of eternity. So the reason when we pray for people to get healed, it's because when Jesus died on the cross, he did it once and for all, and it's an eternal thing. So when we pray for healing, we're not begging God to heal somebody. We're just transferring into the natural realm what has already been deposited in the spiritual realm. I hope you're getting this tonight, that this is what happens when you pray. This is why so many people are begging God instead of just letting God to prepare them for where they're at and the season they're at. So as we keep going, it says this, he went a little farther. He stayed a little longer. And I want to say that you can face anything if you're facing him. You can face anything if you're facing him. 
There's nothing you can't face as long as you can see his. There's nothing you can't face as long as you can see his. And this is what Jesus is showing us here, that he's showing before the disciples and everybody, I don't care what anybody, I have to go to the cross and this is where. But then we get to the, the verbal struggle. Even Jesus, what is about to happen here is that he went a little farther and he fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is happening here is that Jesus, it actually says in the book of Luke, because, you know, Luke was a physician. So he's the only gospel account that records that when Jesus was praying, he was praying so fervently that he began to perspire and sweat blood. It's actually a medical condition that he was under so much agony that he literally began to sweat blood. Did you know the first drop of blood was not at the whipping post, but it was in the secret place? Because Jesus was going to the cross in the secret place before he ever went there. In the natural. I, so many times we, we, we hear a gospel message that everything is just so pretty. Everything is just so this. But we don't realize that there is a war in the mind that Jesus is showing us here. That the reason he's sweating blood is because he's breaking the curse off of your life for you to have to deal with the stress and the anxiety of life. The reason he's sweating, because what was the sweat in the Old Testament? And when, Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Sweat was the curse. He said, sweat will always come off your brow because of the sin. So why did Jesus sweat blood? To break the curse of anxiety off of your life. To break stress off of your life. That he's sweating blood because every drop of blood was a deposit into your redemption account. Every drop of blood was for a purpose. He's sweating in the secret place so that way when you go to the Father that you go there and you can ask him anything in his name because the blood paid for it. He went a little farther, and I want to read it again. It says, oh, my Father, if it is possible, can you imagine Jesus on his face going a little farther, saying, oh, God, oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass, but not my will, but yours. Have we prayed prayers like that where it's not just I rebuke everything that's going on in my life because it's uncomfortable? Or do we say, Lord, you gave me the Holy Spirit to comfort me. Thank you. I can face anything as long as I'm facing you. Jesus is showing us here that prayer isn't just this nice little abracadabra, but you have to submit your flesh, submit your will. Uh, the Lord dealt with me a while ago about the secret place. He said the secret place is where the beauty of his will erases the need for your own. The secret place is where the beauty of his will erases the need for your own. And then in verse 40, it says, then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping, sleeping, his faith buddies, the people that he asked to come with him, to comfort him. Have you ever been in a place before where you asked people for help or you asked if anybody, and it just seemed like nobody cared? 
Did you know Jesus was there? Jesus knows exactly what you feel because what does it say? Do you know what his first word is to Peter? In the New King James, it's, what? Exclamation point. If you didn't catch it. What? Jesus just was praying the most crucible prayer of his entire life, and he asked these guys to come and support him, and he goes over, and he finds them all sleeping. I want to share that revelation can sometimes be a lonely road, that God can sometimes reveal things to you, and nobody else around you sees it, and it can frustrate you. Jesus shows us what he continues to do. I was sharing with my wife on the way over here. Did you know revelation, the urgency of revelation is completely dependent upon relationship. I got to say that again because I know it's a little. The urgency of revelation is completely determined by relationship. This is what I mean by that. My wife and I, if our little girl, if we found out our little girl was missing, my wife and I would do whatever it took to find my little girl. Some of you in this room, you would obviously you would want to help, but you would not have the same urgency as we did. We would, I mean, I know some people might argue with that, but I'm just, but what I'm saying is that the relationship we have with my little girl, it would be, I, that would be every waking moment would be finding her. Because of the urgency of our revelation is completely dependent upon the relationship. So the more you know God, the more urgent you feel. This is why Matt and Sarah, this is why Gold Street Garden, doing outreaches and things like that, I actually pray that you would all get so uncomfortable sitting around that you have to go and you have to tell people about Jesus, that there's an urgency. The Father is saying, I want my prodigal sons and daughters to come home. I need somebody to go. And when you have a relationship with God and the closer you get to him, an urgency just begins to burn inside of you and you start seeing people and you start seeing God's love for them and you see why are they still bound why are they still broken God change me so they see Jesus in me you see what I'm saying that there was an urgency so when he came back and he saw them sleeping it bothered him but what does he say he says could you not watch with me for one hour watch and pray lest you enter into temptation I want to also say that please don't get offended when other people are not there for you. Jesus is showing us here. I have to tell people all the time. People get so offended quickly when people aren't there for them. But when you look at Jesus, you see that there was nobody at points that he needed people. That he's showing us that you can go through anything with him. And that the body of Christ does need to be there for one another. Amen? But what I'm saying is that don't allow the enemy to creep offense into your mind because you know why the enemy gets offense in people's mind? Because he hates unity so much. The enemy hates unity so much. You know why? Because God loves it. God loves unity. And unity is an unstoppable force. That's why when the more we come together, the more that we grow as a body, that's what happens, is we become unstoppable. And that's why the enemy tries to creep in division in, in every which way. So right after this, it says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing. Everyone say, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
So remember we said before, he's brought up the soul, the spirit, and the body now. He's talking about all three of them, like it's a split personality or something. His soul is exceedingly sorrowful, but his spirit is willing. Did you know the spirit God has given you? That it will guide you to your destiny if you invest time with fellowship with the Holy Spirit, with your spirit. Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about that fellowship, but what did he say? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. I want to share something so practical. Are you ready for this? The reason people fall into temptation, when someone falls into temptation, it exposes a lack of preparation. When you fall for temptation, it exposes a lack of preparation. Because why would Jesus say, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation? Because what is he doing? He's praying so he doesn't enter into the temptation of surrendering to his own will instead of God's will. He's actually showing us something, and he's showing the disciples that actually when you fall for temptation, it reveals, it exposes a lack of preparation. Now, I'm not here to beat, this is not to beat people up. This is to help people get prepared. That the reason you continue to fall isn't because it's just how God made you. God did not make you to fall all the time. He made you to overcome. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he did. You're more than a conqueror through Christ. Did you know that? Romans 8.37. You're more than a conqueror. And temptation comes. And the way that you overcome is, I want to know, are you praying to prepare? Where do you go to know? Where do you go to know where your feet stand? And Jesus, he's praying here. He's showing that people enter into temptation when they're not praying, when they're not preparing Amen? Are you seeing that? So, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So, what is, we have found out in Scripture, what does Nehemiah 8.10 say? It says that the joy of the Lord is our what? Everybody say it loud. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And what does it say in Psalm 16.11? It says that in his presence is the fullness of joy. So that means that in his presence is the fullness of strength. And what did, Jesus, what did we find in Hebrews 12 too? It says that looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We said last week, what you see will determine what you can endure. And what did Jesus see? He saw the joy. And what is the joy? That is the presence. That's what he is doing in the secret place in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is finding the presence of God in spite of all the noise, in spite of all the things. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. He knows that he's getting ready to get his beard ripped from his face. He knows that crowns are about to be put, a crown of thorns about to be put on his head. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to find to make sure he's surrendering his emotions, his man, the, what the fallen man has had, he surrenders that so he can experience the love of God, the presence of God. And in verse 42, it then goes on to say, and again a second time he went away and prayed saying, oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. 
And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy again. Jesus is seeing that nobody is there. Nobody's there. But it says again in 44, he left them and went away again. Do you see what is Jesus showing us? You have to keep going. You have to keep going back. Sometimes people give up so quick. Do, you know, if you don't prepare to win, you will always quit. If you don't prepare to win, this is what prayer is. is prayer is getting so close to the victor that everything you do is victory. You just, you get so around him and victory just becomes what goes on. He knows he has to go back. Even when he goes and sees that nobody is for him, nobody is there with him, he keeps going back because he wants to see God again. As I, I don't know if, you're, if you get what I'm saying, but this is what I want you to know, that there's times in my day when my mind is going crazy and you know what I have to do? I even, I have to go and I have to get alone with God, whether I have to shut a door in the house or if I have to go out into the garage and get in the car and just get alone with God. You have to do whatever it takes to get clarity, to get alone with him. You need to be prepared for what is coming. Do you know this world is going to get crazier and crazier? Do you know that? Do you th if you think it's going to get better, you have not read the Bible. You have to understand things are going to get crazier, and prayer is for preparation, not just for cleaning up what has been. You can't just keep looking at prayer as I have to fix what was. Prayer is to prepare for what God is bringing. Amen? So, obedience... If you only obey when you understand, your mind is your Lord. If you only obey when you understand, your mind is your Lord. If you need to comprehend, if you need reasoning, it goes to show your obedience is faithless. When, Jesus, when Peter got out of the boat and stepped on the water, I guarantee you he did not understand what was about to happen. <laughs> he, you went, when, when he got out of the boat, he's like, oh, yeah, this makes sense because if I, if I, maybe if I do this really quick, I'll get enough friction <laughs> and I'll be able to, like, hover over the water. No, he just heard Jesus say, come, and he said, in life, there's so many people, I just don't understand, I just don't understand. No, go. Get alone. Jesus, he's praying and he's sweating blood because he's showing us how important it is to surrender your will. He's showing us how important it is that prayer is about the surrender of your will. And then we find 44, he went away again, prayed a third time, saying the same words. And 45, then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, you see, Jesus is probably like, man, I got to go to the cross. These guys are worth it. <laughs> he's like, he's, you know, he, I, I actually want to share that he probably, their inadequacy to be able to do what he asked is actually what drove him to the cross. It fueled him because he's like, if I go to the cross, then they won't sleep on the job because they'll see how serious I am. They'll see how much I love them. In fact, what was aggravating him, and I know I'm, I'm talking about Jesus, but what, what was causing conflict to him actually became what drove, what drove him. That he actually saw what they weren't able 
to do and said, I'm going to do it for them so that they can experience my victory, experience my triumph, experience who I am. Jesus does what you cannot do so you can experience everything that he has. Isn't that the gospel? Finally, he came to his disciples. He saw him sleeping. He said, behold, the hour is at hand and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let's be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Did Jesus, when he was done praying, did he say, all right, everything's going to be perfect now? You know what? No, he was praying to prepare because he knew the enemy was coming. Do you see, when you pray and you're preparing, no matter what the enemy throws at you, you're already ready for it. This is why Jesus, when he's done praying, what he's literally saying is, the enemy is coming for me, but I'm prepared. Remember when Jesus looked at Peter, he said, the enemy wants to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. Did you know Jesus is praying for us? He's praying for us, but when we fall for temptation, it actually exposes we're not preparing in prayer. Are you thankful that somebody's reminding you this tonight? That when you pray, you need to prepare. You need to prepare for what, what is to come, what is going on, because tomorrow something could happen. You know, it was just two weeks ago. Uh, we were at service, and we, we know Will and Lissette, you know, who help us, and they were with their children on their way home from a service, got rear-ended on the way home. And you know what? Things are already being restored, and everything's coming. There's, there's no pay. But you see, what if they would have been driving home, and they would have reacted to that and thought that, oh, everything is falling apart, everything's like that. Well, guess what? Will was able to put these outreaches together, able to help with all these things. And it's because we just keep moving forward. We don't keep questioning what's going on. We don't get disturbed by all these things. We got to move forward. We got. If you're praying to prepare, you won't be moved by these little things that happen in life. You won't constantly need all these pick-me-ups because because he is the one that's always picked you up. Amen? I'm telling you that I am sensing in my heart that we are on the verge of massive, massive breakthrough. And some people will be left behind if they don't learn to prepare. This is what's happening in this room. We are preparing people to go into great lengths. And what I want to, we are going to take communion tonight and Sunday. But I want you to know, where do you go to know? Where do you go to know peace? Where do you go to know joy? Where do you go to know answers? You have to go to the secret place. You have to go to the word of God. Amen.